This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown, touchdown Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass. Matt Ryan today is looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it, and in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. I am Don Banks, joined by my co-host, Kevin. Wait, I blew that. Let's do that again. I'm still here. This is honest. Let's just keep this. Welcome to Cover Two, everybody. I'm Don's not. a little under the weather. Don has what we call I'm, I'm working, celebration uh, voice. He's in a cel- he's in a post celebratory state. You see, I'm working. He's on a true fan. Rest. America's preeminent football writer, one of the great sports mind and voices of our generation. Not such a great voice today, though. Not such a great voice. No. Not such a great actual voice. Have a ch- a but ch- an honest voice. Have a chest cold. That's right. He's, you got more than a chest cold. You're 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 full blown rundown. Plus, right I'm now. staying up late watching all these late. <laughs> yeah. All these late games. Uh-huh. I stayed up last night, watched the end of the Packers. Yeah, this comeback. isn't like Mister Morning Radio, who says he watches the game, but then watches a basically goes to bed at nine thirty and does a cut up recap in the morning, has his producer in his ear and tell him how he should feel and navigate his takes. No, Don's up late. Don is out there for four and a half hours Saturday night. Saturday night, putting in the time as a true fan. In the grandstand with Peter King, my R- wife, writing for nineteen different publications, sixteen websites, and Peter King's. And, brother-in-law and Peter King's brother-in-law. There's not a website out there right now where you can't get a, a good take from Don. So and you know what? Every now and again, I'm playing hurt. You have to pay the price. You know, you're, you're I'm playing listed, hurt. You're listed as questionable, but and, we all know you're going to be out there. All right, you just heard from Nick Stevens. That's my co-host That's right. That's on right. the Cover Two podcast. That's right. I was trying to give some props to producer Kevin Collins, as I am wont to do. Mm-hmm. You hardly ever mention Kevin. I've noticed that. No, I'm kidding. Um, so there, 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 there is the faux pas I always that bring I bring you in. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so you you kind of foreshadowed it, but right. it was a rare Super Sunday night, certainly oh. in New England. Yeah. And then we saw the Wisconsin version last night with the Brewers Packers both. Finding That's right. Them. They had their own yes. version of it. Yes, I didn't they, even. You didn't put that together. No, I, as I a guy glossed used, over it. As because, a guy who used to live in Madison, Wisconsin, briefly, yeah. I was happy for them. And as a Wisconsin fan myself, I keep Wisconsin close to my heart. I've got family out that way. I think it's one of the top five states. The only thing that didn't line up, of course, was the Brewers were on the road. They weren't home, so it wasn't right. a home and home. It wasn't a double home, right? Double like sportsacular night. night, like it was for Patriots and Red Sox fans, Boston's fans on Sunday. But Monday night for the old Wisconsin double action—that's great. And to get the road shutout, and then to have the epic Rogers comeback, his second unbelievable home primetime comeback this season. I, and for my money, wow. I felt like it was maybe his most ridiculous comeback because, one, there was just such an extreme time element. Um, he's on one leg. I yep. know I know what he did week one against the Chicago Bears, but I feel like he had the whole second half to work that magic. I, that was special. Yeah. But last night was ridiculous. He's scrambling for 20 yards on one leg right. to pick up third downs, and then he just made a series – Dropping dimes to Devontae Adams, putting the ball. He made a series of unbelievable throws, 
and the play calling to continue to press to get even closer for Mason Crosby. Crosby, see, mm-hmm. I am playing hurt. Mason Crosby, who wins vindication after his right after Mason brutal. Crosby didn't directly cost them the game against the Lions, but indirectly led uh, to he their. Did. He, he kind of did. did actually. He missed five kicks. Yeah, five. Yeah. An extra point and four field goals yeah. for a guy who who used to be automatic. He's like one of the kickers that gets drafted a couple rounds later than Justin Tucker in fantasy football. He's been money for a decade. Yeah, and then he goes four for four last night. Right, and nails and the, last and night. the chip shot. The, the, la- the lazy producer. The uh, he has a question. A question. A football question for the two great football minds yes. sitting in front of me. Yes, Kevin. Collins. So Don stayed up, watched yep. the game last night. Mm-hmm. There's six seconds left in regulation. Mm-hmm. It's a tie ball game. Green Bay has the ball with the clock stopped on the 10-yard line. Mm-hmm. And the kicker is not coming out. And myself and Joe Tessitore are wondering, where the heck is Mason Crosby? Why isn't he on the field? Now, I knew what Rodgers was going to do. He was going to just snap the ball, throw it over someone's head, and when the clock runs till the ball lands, and then that way it bleeds the clock from six down to three. maybe one or two or sure. three or whatever, right? But in my mind, I'm thinking, is the risk of that gimpy quarterback – getting blitzed and sacked and the game ending on a fumble or a sack, that was, is it worth three seconds? That was the beauty of it. Um, you know? The risk versus reward. Yeah. You knew Aaron Rodgers wasn't the taking extremely the Extremely unorthodox. But, but what, you would agree it's extremely unorthodox. I don't, oh, think, it's wor- I don't yeah. think it's worth it at all. Joe, I'm a huge proponent of holding time in case you have a bad snap. Like, I think you should always kick it, on third down. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, in a bad snap with snap? six seconds, the holder yeah. can just you spike the football. Yeah. Right. I mean, I guess. Well, but it did. It blew Joe Tessitore away. He was like, where's the kicker? Now, Nick, if you didn't stay up for the end of the game, you also like missed. Don and I. Uh, you sorry, also I was missed. too busy watching myself on Discovery Channel. You also missed. i got to get my rating somehow. Twitter b- blowing up over Jason Witten, who I quote, Said that Aaron Rodgers, he just pulled a rabbit out of his head. He didn't say hat. He said head. <clears throat> Twitter completely blew up over that. Very notable too that Booger McFarlane kept referring to Aaron Rodgers as the best quarterback in football. I found that notable as well. Just the same way what Travis I watched Kelsey. Brady do. Yeah. After, well, and he, and it wasn't just one time. It was over and over and over again the whole fourth quarter. It's kind of. I mean, um, it's not. I wouldn't know, even say it's apples and oranges. It's just you know. It, Whoever pick your pick I just your found it as, as a as a card carrying Tom Brady fan club mm-hmm. you know member here. I found it right. very offensive that Booker McFarlane would just knight him the greatest quarterback. You know, I think right now. I, I'll say this. I think you can you can split, it's a hot take from the Booger Mobile. You can split that opinion between those two a little easier than the Gronk versus Kelsey debate in my book. That's just my opinion. But now wait, do you think you think Gronk and Kelsey are I, I think closer? Gronk, no, I think Gronk's got a much bigger edge over Kelsey Absolutely. than Brady has over Rodgers. Because Gronk is Gronk's a better blocker than half the offensive linemen that are on the field in the NFL. I right agree now. with Rob Ninkovich. Kelsey doesn't even want to block. That doesn't Travis make Travis Kelsey is a reality show star who's a really good wide receiver in tight ends clothes. Gronk is an offensive lineman with wide receiver speed. All you need to do is watch, A, the the ball he caught to set up the game-winning field goal, which was a vintage Brady fade to the right sideline. He had just thrown the ball like that to Hogan a little bit earlier. A couple great throws by Brady in the fourth, too. And how about that stiff arm? 
yeah. the pass over the middle. Literally threw the man five yards with his off arm, with his left arm, there's, while running. There is no shame in being stiff-armed by Gronk. I'm no. sorry. I think it's a bad job. That guy should wear a shirt that says, I got stiff-armed by Gronk. But I'll tell you what, Vance McDonald with Pittsburgh is doing some major league. It, I, I called it in snap judgments on Sunday, stiff-arm across America tour, because he is getting everyone week by week. All right. Big we, man. We were off to a ragged start here on the Cover 2 podcast. Right. I should pull it back together and say that Trent Dilfer, uh, obviously former longtime NFL quarterback, used to be with ESPN, now appearing, I believe, on Mondays with Colin Coward on FS1. If you like Trent's NFL analysis, and I, I believe he's one of the sharpest, um, more astute football watchers in, uh, in the business, He's on every Monday uh, afternoon with Colin Coward. And then he's also doing a, a, a neat series called Soul and Science with NFL Network, which is uh, Thursday pregame shows with John Brinkus. Check that out as well. But Trent's going to be along. Um, he and I go way back to Tampa Bay days, Sam White era, 94, when he was drafted number six overall by the mighty Buccaneers. Um, so, Nick, you must have had just this massive oh. New England sports mm -hmm. fans fantasy night Sunday um I have to admit I'll be complete up front I watched more socks than I did Pats sure I, I felt like the socks season and I was, the opposite uh, I figured you were the opposite I felt like the socks season was on the line you can't go down 0-2 and go to Houston um but as I kept switching over and seeing how fascinating the football game was becoming in the second half. Yeah. I watched more and more of that as well, and then full full bore once the Sox wrapped it up. But give give me a set the scene for what uh, Nick Stevens and your alter ego Fitzy was like on Sunday night. It was the Boston Sports Super Sunday, 2018. We last experienced this in 2013, right on the day of the famous Brady to but Ken Brell. Those Tompkins. were not uh, simultaneous. No, they weren't, and that's the thing. That's what made this one extra special right. because. We hadn't really had simultaneous juice like this since 2003, when in 2003 there was a 1 o'clock. It was game four of the ALDS. Against Oakland. Trot Nixon had hit a walk-off bomb the night before on I Saturday night. You were at that game. I was watching from a comedy club, from a bar in a comedy club here in Boston. And then the next day, Sox are down 2-1. We had the uh, the classic New England special my dad set up. You got the wood panel main. This is pre-flat screen. Wood panel TV in the den. He schlepped in the kitchen TV, put it on top. So we're watching stack and rack, two TVs. What do you do picture in picture? Pat's Titans. Pat's Titans on the main TV, which was a game down to the wire. Steve McNair had a hell of a day. That's right. And then they were to meet up later in those very same playoffs for another epic showdown in zero-degree temperatures. And the Patriots... They're on the main TV, and then we have the kitchen TV, and we're toggling back and forth in the volume. They had to beat Oakland, and Big Poppy had a double in the eighth inning off then mostly unheralded but lockdown closer for Oakland, Keith Falk, who would come to play uh, a large right. role next year right. for the Red Sox. Right. So that was the last time I remember it, the stakes being as large as they were and the simultaneous action. So I'm here Sunday night. I was uh, At Gillette. I'm here at the stadium. I was grateful enough to be invited to. I was watching from a suite. It was actually pretty cool. I love. Who doesn't love free beers and tenders? Come on, living the fans' high life here. Wait, wait. Elaborate on how you got in a suite. How how someone like you was allowed in a suite? DraftKings security. Okay, that's fair. The nice security. people. The nice people at DraftKings. They like the Fitzy videos. It was nice. That's I fair. It. That was pretty good. It was pretty good living. So I'm there, and I finished. Hans the invite must have got lost in the mail. <laughs> so I'm watching. So I'm doing this out the window, watching the Pats game. And then 
the not so good eye, the left eye is up on a flat screen right there. And everyone is doing the same thing. Up watching the game, whenever you'd hear noise like, yeah, come on, uh, you look up and it's like Price gave up a home run to Marwin Gonzalez. Son of a... And then Jackie, and then like a few minutes later, Jackie Bradley Jr., there's clapping, but I see nothing going on the field. You look up because you were watching a play and Brady's handing the ball to Sony Michelle. And oh, Jackie Bradley Jr. just hit a wall scraper, three run, three run double, uh, just back and forth. It, it gives you ADHD, right? But it's the best kind of I call it fanxiety. It's, like it's it's the anxiety of the sports fan, like on red on steroids. And those are the nights you you oh, the long best. remember. I the mean, risk reward is so high though it's because beautiful. you can go home yeah. with a double junk punch, right? Or you can just fl- you half can and half. Your feet will, yeah exactly. Or your feet will never touch the ground on the way home. Yeah, and it was um, you know, I there was there was obviously drama in both because mm-hmm. the the early four two deficit that uh, the Sox faced, and then the comeback by Kansas City in yep. the second half. Um, uh, so you really couldn't relax. And for Kansas long. City's plays were like every every Pats fan in the stadium was getting silent and internally triggered because every time they scored, it was the same thing. Oh look, there's another one of their short, super fast humans catching a pass going way over the top of the defender who somehow forgot, like, hey, Deron Harmon, hey, Jason McCourty, hey, everyone in the Patriots secondary, let me introduce you to Kareem Hunt and Tyreek Hill. They were last seen ruining your kickoff to the 2017 I'm, season. I'm sorry. If you let Ty- Tyreek Hill just run, you're not going to stay with him. The, the man man's that- Twitter handle is I'm faster than you. He, wouldn't regis- <laughs> I mean, he really wouldn't register it as that unless he was. What, the, what they did in the second half – should have it certainly scared the Patriots straight and got them back on their game after they took that 24-9 lead into the half. But, man, that is as quick strike a quick strike offense as I've ever seen in the NFL. And it's great, too, that after Brady had 10.5 seconds in the pocket on a play and got strip-sacked again this season, which is odd. I still don't think Brady's had a great game this year. You're, uh, it's you're, a little bit of a hot take for uh, such a Brady defender. Your honest thoughts when Brady took off for the end zone. This is exact. Yes, he's getting in, and this is exactly what they need. They needed him to run in that end zone. How many Mississippi's did you count? Uh, it was about twenty Mississippi's. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, really, he is reverse Tyreek Hill. What a lumbering, yeah. stumbling giraffe on stilts. God bless him. But that's exactly what they needed to like rally the team. Tom's going to take. You know, he's made a couple bad passes. He fumbled earlier. He took it upon himself, and then from that point forward, the dimes to Hogan, like the, just dropped that great pass on third and one to Hogan. Later on, beautiful passes to Gronk. That rallied the team. That got him back together. Uh, highest scoring game in the history of Gillette Stadium. First and only 43-40 to 40 final score in the history of the NFL. Yeah, that's cool. We saw a welker. We saw a Dion branch of points out there Sunday. So for everyone who wanted their money's worth and then some for the Sunday Night Football marquee matchup, you got it. How about this? The last two nights, I mean Sunday and Monday night, you get you get forty forty with Brady and a game winning last last minute drive. Last night you get thirty thirty with Aaron Rodgers leading a last minute drive. Forty three forty, thirty three thirty. The last two primetime matchups for the NFL, as as silly as this fantasy football version of professional football is that we're watching right now, were incredibly entertaining. And for the Sox just when the Patriots swooned in the third quarter and Kansas City was marching back, the Sox kind of picked their game up. I, Kimbrell obviously decided to age all of us five days for every one day on the inside of our bodies. He Kimbrelled. Giving, he Kimbrelled. Nobody, he, exactly. That's a new verb. He Kimbrelled. 
Ki- nobody has given me more gray hairs in this short life, in the three years I've known him, than Craig Kimbrell. What What are you ever going to do if, if the Sox only have a one-run lead? Or is that when he bows his, his neck and goes one, two, three? Because my wife has a theory that he absolutely cannot stand prosperity. So a three-run lead, nope. he has to make trouble for himself. Can't pitch when it's not a save. Don't Can't care if it's two outs. Nope. Two outs, nobody on, he'll make trouble. Can I say, himself. though, my new favorite Red Sox, Rick Porcello. Uh-huh. I absolutely love watching this guy come in. He he loves loves pitching the eighth. Yeah, he lives for the moment, doesn't he? I mean, he 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 was throwing. That was some of the best pitching I've ever seen him. The sinker, his curveball, the fastball was moving. He had he had stuff Sunday night. He he wanted that inning. What's that? Ricky can pitch a one two three inning. Uh, Yeah, those can't. Yeah, yeah. How about Ryan Brazier? I, I really like him. Oh, After the Brazier. The, get, get the, the blank in the get box. Get the blank in the box. There's a great little song out on the uh, on the internet. Uh, a woman made Oh, yeah, one. that was great. Yeah, yeah. That? yeah, that's made the rounds nicely. Yes. It's uh, not suitable for family. Nope. I think uh, a very fun follow for Red Sox fans, uh, Surviving Grady. I think he actually... I think he tweeted at her and said, we need this. And then a day later, she came out with her little ukulele and busted out the Get the Blank in the Box song. All right, you're with the Cover 2 podcast, guys. Uh, Banks and Stevens, we're uh, we're going to talk with Trent Dilfer in just a little bit. Um, but first, let's let's dive back into week six beyond New England. Yeah. Um, I wrote the lead of my uh, Sunday Snap Judgments column, which appears every week on Patriots.com, about the Steelers. Because I really feel like they're starting to look like the Steelers that everyone expected. I mean, they put a complete game together against Atlanta at home. Then they went on the road to Cincinnati, who they own, lock, stock, and barrel. And they did it again. The Bengals score to go up 21-20 with a minute 18 to go on a Joe Mixon touchdown. And Ben Roethlisberger says, thank you very much for those 78 seconds. I think we'll use those well. Mm -hmm. Antonio Brown, 31 yards, right up the uh, middle of the field. And another, I believe, the seventh straight win in the series, 10 out of 11. For the Steelers. Yeah, Yeah. against the Bengals. There was no doubt in my mind. Excuse me. No doubt in my mind at all. All when Mixon ran in the end zone. Too Steelers were winning that game. Yeah, too much time. Now, I don't know what they're supposed to do. I don't know if you're supposed to, when A.J. Green goes out after the seven-yard catch, I think they're at the five, it's second and four maybe, or second and three. Are you, What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to tell go, Mixon, go down run, to the, one. run to the one and go down. Pull a, uh, who was it, the Giants running back in the Super Bowl. Ahmad Bradshaw, who tried to but then still fell in the end zone. Exactly, gravity. Right. I don't know how they should have milked that clock any better. I hate to say it. They did their job. They came back. They marched down the field. They scored. I know there are some who will tell you, got to score when you can score. Got to get those points. The Bengals' defense did an atrocious job committing penalties when they made stops. What a shocker. And then, exactly, wow. (laughs) Marvin Lewis, undisciplined team. And against that team, never seen that before. No, never. And then just falling asleep. And then just falling asleep on, what do you do? How do you not account for Antonio Brown? That's why the Bengals are still the Bengals. I call them that when they lose badly. Tell me, are you buying that the Steelers are are kind of back now as a playoff threat? 100%. Yeah. It's Uh, not even that that defense is that good. I'll go a little further. I don't think Le'Veon Bell's ever – there's reports he's not coming back this week now during the bye week. And it's the Week 7 report, right? Was well, he supposed to come back this week? Yeah, I mean, according to Jeremy Fowler's report of a couple of weeks ago on ESPN, this was the week. Now the Steelers basically floated out there yesterday, Monday evening, 
that Bell's not coming back. He's not reporting. Uh, either he didn't like their plan to maybe hold a roster exemption for two weeks, or maybe they said they're going to try to trade him. I don't know that he ever gets back into the Steelers lineup, and I don't know that that's a bad thing. No. James Conner has gotten it done. He's gotten the job done, and this team looks like it's starting to find its its rhythm and its mojo. I'm not sure adding Bell back to the mix is a great thing. Can I say that, uh, you know, we're going to talk to Trent Dilfer in a few minutes, and he does that soul science piece Thursday nights, and he's a firm believer in the... What, what the intangibles you know i say you know they can't quantify clutch in sports especially in baseball but there are certain things that he believes in that you can do emotional waves you can ride in sports to me there was absolutely no way in the world the steelers were losing when i saw a james connor go over in the end zone before the game a cancer survivor himself and find that little kid who had the sign that said just finish chemo and take a picture with him and high five him and wish him well and then shazier walks on the field Right. You, when you're buoyed by that kind of emotional uplift, I just don't see how. I don't see how. I know that those aren't play calls. Those aren't players. Those don't shouldn't make a difference. I don't see how you lose that game. All right. Next topic: Jacksonville's once elite defense. Oh. What happens uh, to a team that wins a game in week two, like their their own personal Super Bowl against New England in the AFC yeah. rematch? They've lost three out of four since then. They just got. 30 points handed to them by Kansas City, which is no shame. But then they turn around and let Dallas shove a very crooked number down their throat uh, in Jerry World on Sunday. 40 points against the Cowboys. 40 points. Is this a team we overrated? I don't think we overrated the Jacksonville defense. I think they're just having a little bit of a midseason swoon. Slash, I think they're kind of down on the fact that the offense flat out sucks. That Jacksonville offense right now but this is, a, is team... a garbage fire. Blake Bortles, his picks against Kansas City, throwing the ball off the back of people's heads, like pinball interceptions left and right. And now we're seeing that without Fournette and without a true number one receiver, this whole this this Moncrief sort of like Westbrook Yeldon attack. But this is a team built to win with defense. So to me, this comes back to the defense is defense working. is kind of bu- I think the defense I think the defense is just playing down to the level of the offense. Todd Wash is the defensive coordinator. He was being hailed as a future head coach by Tony Baselli 3 or 4 weeks ago when I talked to Tony about the Jags and now he's under fire mm-hmm. already. Um, something's missing and it tells me that this is a team that thought it had arrived after it beat New England. Yep. And it kind of just kind of forgot they, what they got start it reading there. their own headlines. Yeah, I don't think Doug Marone has gotten uh, their attention since then. Maybe the Dallas debacle will. All right, real quickly, the Bears-Pats is one of the big games of the week. Mm-hmm. And the Bears go down to Miami, coming off their bye against a Dolphins team that not only has looked bad in losing two straight weeks, but is starting Brock Osweiler at quarterback right. with Ryan Tannehill's shoulder um, injured. The Brock star was starting. I joked before the game, like, everyone was going to race to their computer and put the Bears' defense into their DraftKings or their FanDuel. I saw that, but you yeah. know, a version of it did happen. A lot of money came in on right. the on the Bears when should have, and and they lost their shirts. Oh man, Vegas cleaned up. So what happened there? Chicago Vegas cleaned the house, made so much money because of the Dolphins. Again, this week. an elite defense. We thought maybe not um, goes down wow. to a team that doesn't have that you know that much firepower. Didn't show it against. 
either New England or Cincinnati and losing. Uh, I was puzzled by that loss. Again, I think it's a Bears team that is young, still figuring out how to put games away. Yeah. At Green Bay in Week 1, at Miami in Week 6, those should have been two wins. They could be 5-0. and Instead, they might lose to New England and be 3-3. Three and three. Huh. I'm trying to figure out exactly what their offense is, too. I don't, I don't think they quite have down what they are or can be. You've got Jordan. It, it would seem, it makes, doesn't it make sense? Like, you've got Jordan Howard. There's your big bell cow. And Tariq Cohen is your Dion Lewis slash James White slash Kevin Falk, Danny Woodhead type. Split him out wide, use his speed and his lateral ability, and have Jordan Howard get you those tough yards. And then Trubisky can make plays with his feet or work some play action with some of these talented receivers and Trey Burton. Instead, well, their offense is just its a little all over the place. Well, right they now. got big plays out of Gabriel, the receiver, the smaller Gabriel, Taylor yeah, Gabriel, from Atlanta, downfield yeah. um, against the Dolphins. You know, it's interesting, but obviously Matt Nagy, is off the Andy Reid tree. So for the second straight week, the Patriots' defense is kind of looking at the same mm -hmm. offense. Right. And Tariq Cohen is really in the Tyreek Hill role for Chicago. In a lot of ways, yeah. Yeah. No, I talked, because I'm doing the Bears opponent piece for The Athletic this week, and I talked to Tom Waddle and Tom Thayer, uh, both former Bears in the media now in Chicago, um, Thayer being the color analyst on their radio network. And, you know, it in, in a lot of ways – the Patriots are fortunate that they're going to see a version of the same offense. Just the same way they were fortunate they caught the Chiefs when they caught the Chiefs because they didn't have their safeties and Justin Houston wasn't there. Right. Yeah, right. That, that's, that's going to help them as well. But at the same time, look at the offenses, Don, that have had their way with the Patriots the last couple of years. One team has scored 40-plus points on the Patriots in the second decade, 21st century, three times. It's the same team. Chiefs. Right. 2014, 2017, 2018. Right. And from the Andy Reid tree comes Doug Peterson, who hung a 41 burger on them in Super Bowl 52. S small but torturous family for a Patriots fan. So for fan. some reason, that co that works. Yes, absolutely. I would be surprised if Nagy's able to pull off some points Sunday, but I think the Patriots are going to be able to, especially if Khalil Mack is dinged up. I think the Pats, this offense now, like the diversity that the Patriots are able to, to put out there now is impressive. And they're, they're another week or two away from Josh Gordon really getting same page with Brady. So long as Tom doesn't force it, which he did a little bit Sunday night, that offense is going to be something to reckon with the rest of the season. All right, we're very excited. been trying to get Trent Dilfer uh, as our guest on the Cover 2 podcast for quite a while. Um, did a lot of great work with ESPN, and then um, when he left the network, uh, he kind of laid low for a while, and I've been missing his NFL analysis, and it's good that we can touch base with him again and get his take on all things NFL. Trent is uh, making, I believe, regular Monday appearances with Colin Coward on FS1 these days, Trent? I am, yeah. Back with my old pal, Colin. Is it Dilford Dimes? Are we still Dilford, Dilford Dimes? On Twitter, I think so. Yeah, I'm not, I don't tweet that much, but I believe that's it. Okay. Well, it's funny because obviously we all go back to Tampa Bay days. Colin Coward was working in the Tampa market while I was covering you when you were a rookie for the 94 bucks. Um writing for the St. Pete Times. Um, we all have been around a long time. We're all getting old. Um, wanted to... That was, a lot of, that was a lot of hair ago for me, Don. That was a lot of hair ago. <laughs> well, that was a lot of darker hair for me. Um, <laughs> welcome welcome to the podcast. Thanks for the time, Trent. Um, I wanted to, first of all, start with the obvious. Last night, um, I guess the last two nights, really, the Brady-Mahomes show, Sunday night, followed by, um, what, Chapter... 
23 now of the Aaron Rodgers comeback story, I tweeted, it may be his most ridiculous comeback yet, and I just meant, given the time constraints, he didn't have a whole second half in this case to, to work, given that he's still kind of on one leg, some of the throws he made. I just, I'd love your take on uh, Rodgers' latest masterpiece in the comeback department. You know, this, this guy, quarterbacking is so good right now in the NFL in general. You have to kind of like find a differentiator. Uh, for me, it's always been third down, um, red zone, end of half, end of game. You know how guys play in critical moments. Uh, Aaron's obviously been one of the greatest uh, of all time, if you look at that. But then I think there's one step further you can even take it, and that's kind of the, the brass of a burglar throw you know the guy that just has you know what yeah to make throws that maybe a lot of other guys could make but they choose not to make that the risk is high or the um, success rate is low but they're willing to take them in big moments and, and that's kind of what Aaron does the ability to throw the ball uh, all over the yard with that type of exactness uh, is very very hard to find um, you can go down, you know, into the history of quarterbacking, and you're going to find very few guys that have made as many big, you know, what throws as Aaron Rodgers has made. You know, what struck me is um, opinion was divided. Like late in that game, when he was making those throws on the sideline, those back throw, shoulder throws, those throws that they had no time, they had to get out of bounds. Was, I mean, do you look at that and say that's just horrible? pass defense allowing the Packers to work the sidelines like that, the 49ers secondary, or was that absolute perfect execution by number 12 and his receivers? It's a combination of both. I mean, defense around the league is pretty terrible. Um, and I'm more of a defensive-centric guy. I mean, some of my best coaches I ever had are defensive guys. I played with Dungy and Lou, Marvin Lewis and Rex Ryan and um, Jack Del Rio and, you know, go on and on, Monty Kiffin. And so I've been around some great defensive coaches and they all just have to be puking in their mouth, uh, watching the state of defense in the NFL. Part of it's the rules. Part of it, you just can't touch people anymore. Um, and in the passing game, you know, this, the emphasis started, I don't know, five, seven years ago where they weren't going to let you reroute and there would be letter to the law for five yards. And, and that just started giving guys free runs off the line of scrimmage and changed technique. And I, that's what I'm getting to is what you saw last night is more of a shadow man technique. And it's a bad technique if you have a good receiver because the receiver now is a two way go opposed to what the, say the Seattle Seahawks ran for years when they get up in your face where they're going to press on your outside shoulder on the perimeter force you inside. It's going to be very, very, very difficult to get outside versus man coverage against them. Um, you're just seeing it all over the league. Now, I, fine, it's not worth complaining about. Quarterbacks, the good ones are shredding it. Um, but it allows for you to throw yourself back in a game. I mean, 10 years ago, you could not have done what Aaron Rodgers did against the Bears, what he did last night. It just wouldn't happen um, because you would reroute receivers they wouldn't be able to get there you'd muscle them up you'd be kicking the crap out of the quarterback if you're dropping back that much without getting flags thrown on you um, but it's just to stay the game it makes it a more exciting game and 
it allows our superheroes to be even bigger superheroes. Well, you tweeted something along those lines within the last day or so. You said, I love offense, but it's just become an unfair fight in the NFL, 43-40. Is there a point where you think, in the NFL's eyes, they think the more offense, the better, but it actually, the imbalance hurts the game on some level to have defense so impaired? Listen, I don't know the numbers, and I'm not in New York City calculating sales revenue and advertising and all that stuff. Um, so I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm not going to pretend to talk about something I don't know. But here's what I do know, that the authentic football fan, the one that doesn't care about fantasy football or is in, in the hot takes every week, but the one that just has always grown up, you know, his father's father started watching ball games years ago on Sunday afternoons. Um, you know, my daughter's who grew up watching ball games just for the ball game part of it. The people that love football are disgusted with football right now. Um, now, fantasy football is amazing. Uh, all the stuff that goes with the NFL is amazing. Uh, you could probably make a stronger argument that it's good uh, overall um, because of what it brings people and the entertainment value and the revenue created from it. But in terms of football, the purity of football, the quality of the game, the way the game was supposed to be played, it's a terrible game. Um, and, game, you know, people keep telling me, well, I mean, Colin and I have this argument all the time. And, well, it's so great because quarterbacks aren't getting hurt. That's a lie. Okay, tell me the quarter, quarterbacks are still getting hurt. Jimmy Garoppolo, last time I checked, still has a torn ACL. Josh Allen still has a banged-up elbow. Derek Carmel's broke his forearm the other day. Uh, Aaron Rodgers' knee's banged up. All in legal plays, and there's still going to be illegal plays where quarterbacks get hit and hurt. So you're not necessarily making it safer. I, I think that's kind of a lie. Um, you're making it worse. And to the purest. Again, let me qualify. To the purest. And I know we're a very small crowd. Um, but I, I, I giggle when somebody tells me, it's what a great game, man. Uh, not really. Not when Clay Matthews is, you know, Packers are getting cost games because of calls that are made up, basically. Make no sense. Trent Dilfer, our guest uh, on the Cover 2 that's podcast. That's overall take. No, I totally agree. I'm glad I'm glad someone gives that voice because I, I love 1310 just as much as I love 4340, and I think there's a place for both. Um, you know, another piece of news that broke yesterday, very sad piece of news, and, and I retweeted what you had to say. Obviously, the Seahawks owner, Paul Allen, passed at age 65, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, a battle he had fought and won previously when he was in his 30s. I just wanted to read to um, our listeners what you tweeted and then have you talk about Paul Allen. You said, so sad to hear about the passing of Seahawks owner, Paul Allen. In my four years in Seattle, he treated me, my teammates, and the coaches with great honor and respect. The Hawks treat their players as well or better than any organization because of him. My prayers go out to his family. Tell me something about Paul Allen that um, people need to know. Well, he's very, very kind. Um, what I loved about Paul was he treated a guy that just got came in on your team off the street as well as he treated Walter Jones or Sean Alexander or myself or Matt Hasselback or Daryl Jackson, you know, whoever the stars were at the time. Uh, he was just a kind man. He admired what we were doing as professional football players. He respected the investment we made into the game. Um, he appreciated uh, all the things that were, that 
was to be a football player, um, how hard it was. Um, he didn't knee-jerk react after losses. He encouraged. I remember a story. Uh, Matt and I were splitting time uh, one year. I can't remember. Was that 2000, 2001 maybe? We're in Washington, D.C., and Matt had a really rough first half, and I came in the second half and played well. And, and we're sitting at the locker at the end of the game, and, and Paul sat down next to Matthew and just sat there and consoled him and told him how much he respected him while I'm right there. Like, he could treat us both the same, even though we were competing for the job and one of us had a rough night, one of us had a good night. Uh, he just kind of understood the human – what I'm trying he, he understood the human element. Uh, as much as the business element. I, I just will forever remember him for that. Talking to Trent Dilfer here on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. Uh, Trent, it's a particular delight for me to get a chance to speak with you because as the dyed-in-the-wool Patriots super fan here on the podcast, uh, I mean, it, how, how do you not talk to Trent Dilfer after another massive Kansas City Chiefs-Patriots game? And I love how you've handled what you said four years ago and sort of made it its own little like boutique cottage industry as well. Uh, I heard what you said earlier about the fact that this doesn't feel like football anymore. It feels like we're watching real life fantasy football. How 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 in the world are we going to turn it around from forty three forty back to real football? But at the same time, that 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 is highly watchable and that is what the fans want to see. And also, uh, quick take on. Patrick Mahomes, who's obviously leading the class of rookie. Well, he's a second-year quarterback. Um, this kid is uh, just absolutely unbelievable. I'd love to hear what your take on Mahomes is. So, again, I, I'm not saying I'm right on the state of football. I'm saying that's my perspective as a football dork. I mean, I grew up on the back of a blocking sled. <laughs> that's my childhood. My dad was an offensive line coach. So I'd sit on the back of a blocking sled. I would cut up 16-millimeter film for him and sit and put it on the washer and dryer in my mom's utility room and watch film when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Wow. So I'm a purist, and I'm not saying everybody should be. Um, but the purist looks at the game and thinks it stinks. Now, I don't think it's going back. I think the mob, the crowd, the, the national audience has spoken, and they want the quarterback not to get hit. They want offense. They want to see receivers running free in the secondary. They want to see safeties cower at the last second and not blow up a receiver um, to intimidate them. I mean, I just that's that's what they want, and that's fine. Um, but it's not going to go back. You can't overcorrect it now. Uh, my point. I don't mean this um, as hyperbole. I think they should just put flags on the quarterback. I think they should, or some type of technology device where. They just get them down so you don't have the Tom Brady thing from the other night where the guy's scared of getting the flag, so he lets them go. Um, let's just get to the point where if we want our quarterbacks healthy, if we want 43-40, if we want, you know, if we want to see the Kansas City Chiefs put up a 40-piece in Foxborough in 53 plays, you know how to score 40 points in 53 plays in one of the hardest places in the world to play? Um, if we want that every week, then put flags in the quarterback so let's not have this controversy all the time uh and then then they will stay healthier um so i don't think it's going back my take on mahomes i think he's a generational talent he is uh i saw him in high school when i was doing the elite 11 when his year uh, he had an incredible arm he was a great athlete he's a great kid he was poised he's mature beyond his years but i thought he was going to go play baseball everybody thought he was going to go play baseball and he goes to texas tech 
and I think he just fell in love with football uh, more than he loved baseball. And as you watched him at Texas Tech, the only question was, could he ever play with a high level of discipline and structure? Because he was a true gunslinger, and he did stuff that would make your jaw hit the ground. But he would also do stuff that you're like, uh, you're not going to get away with that in the pros. And I think that year with Alex Smith is as valuable as a year as any quarterback in this league's ever had. Because what Patrick needed was not the gunslinger to be coached out of him. He needed he needed discretion to be built into him. And when you watch Alex Smith play, he plays 100% with discretion. That's how he plays the game. He mitigates damage. And he's won a lot of games because that's the way he plays. And Patrick was able to sit there and not be preached to, but to watch it. And to go, huh, I know there's a million things I can do that this guy can't do, but I'm watching him mitigate damage and play at discretion and win a bunch of games in the NFL. When I get my shot, I'm going to combine the two. And that's exactly what he's done. Like, I get it. These flash plays that he makes, they're incredible. And I think he can make them. The only guy I've ever seen make them as this consistent is Brett Favre. But the one thing Brett did, and Don, you remember this because we sat there and watched it, up close and personal um, while I was in Green Bay. But Brett also could play with structure. Brett could play on time. Brett could, his fifth step and rip a skinny post. He could get to number two, three, and fours in progression. He could hard count guys and give the jump. He could change the protection. He could manage the run game. He could make audibles in key moments. Uh, and Patrick's doing all that stuff. So he's kind of, he's got all the talent in the world, and now in a very short amount of time, he's got a ton of wisdom and discretion in his game also. Trent Dilfer on the Cover 2 podcast. Trent, um, among other things these days, you're doing pieces that are running on the NFL Network for their Thursday night pregame show. Tell us a little bit about Soul and Science. Uh, it's a sports science, I guess, 3.0 series. Tell us about what that is about and how it, how it came to be. So John Brankus has had wild success. I think over 1,600 episodes of sports science um, became a, you know, a common figure in most people's households when it comes to that stuff. Well, me and him, have, for years, we were at ESPN, talked about partnering on something, but we couldn't contractually. Well, when both of us left ESPN and were free agents, we decided to hook up. And he always felt the gap in sports science was only told one part of the story. And I've always been an analyst that likes both sides. I love the analytics. I love the science. Uh, I love the hard evidence. But I also think there's a real intangible human element to sport that I call the soul. Uh, it's hard to explain. Uh, it's hard to quantify. But it's very, very real. Uh, it's very real that Tom Brady is better than most humans in chaotic situations. I think everybody would agree with that, correct? Correct. Well, that's correct. his soul. Um, that's that's this intangible makeup that comes from his childhood, from it basically is nurturing. And we've created these cool little segments, uh, and we're going to do all sports. We obviously started with football and quarterbacks. We did pre-draft stuff. We're doing stuff for the Thursday night game. But we want to take a deep dive and examine both sides, where John will do the sports science part. I'll get into some of the intangible stuff. We'll make it highly digestible, a couple minutes at length, so people can watch them on linear television. They can watch them on Instagram, Twitter, online, however they want to consume their media. Um, but they can get quick little doses of both sides of a specific aspect of sport. And it's been really successful. I love doing it. John's a great man, a great friend. Uh, and the best part of it 
is that I get to choose exactly what I talk about and not be told what I'm going to talk That's about. That's a beautiful thing. Editorial control. Uh, look for those. Yeah. Soul and Science on the NFL Network Thursday night pregame show. Last thing, Trent, I want the, you to tell the world that those of us who were in Tampa Bay in the Sam White Cheers, we knew Bob Wiley. We saw the Bob Wiley phenomena long before Hard Knocks and the Cleveland Browns uh, made him <laughs> made him a cult figure to the rest of the football world. Very true. Bob was a very fun man to play for. Uh, and it'd be fun. It, it was fun to get my ass chewed by him, as he did often <laughs> when he was offensive line coach under Sam Weiss those early years. And I deserved every ass chewing I got. So I can't remember. Did his stomach jump every time he said hut back then, too? I, I don't remember seeing it quite in all its glory as it was portrayed this summer. You know, I don't remember on the field as much as I remember it in meetings. <laughs> I do remember in meetings when he would talk or get animated that we would kind of nudge each other and watch his belly, like, hit the... Because, you know, this is 1994. We still had those desks that had, like, the built-in right. um, the table ha- on them. Right, the half desk. Yeah. The half desk. So his belly would, like, bang the half desk <laughs> up and down. <laughs> uh, I was trying to tell people, I was like, I, I've seen this before. I've seen it up close. Uh, the this- Normandy speech is not, I mean, I, I give that to myself every day. That's, that's, part, that's the best TV I've seen all summer. Trent Dilfer, thank you for being our guest today on the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. Enjoy your work. Uh, missed it for quite a while. Glad, uh, glad it's back. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. All the best. I knew Trent would have some Bob Wiley stories yeah. to share. Um, the man did become something of, of a sensation for those five weeks of hard knocks. Living legend. But I saw the gut a long time ago. It wasn't quite as prodigious, uh, but it was still pretty pretty massive. It should have its own Twitter handle. I think it has its own yeah. zip code, actually. No um, it, was, uh, it was an eventful week in the NFL that's to be sure wrapped up by that uh, the Green Bay San Francisco game but I want to get back very quickly I loved what he had to say about former Seahawks and and by the way Portland Trailblazers owner Paul Allen Microsoft co-founder that yeah that? that's that's burying the lead huh yeah Microsoft co-founder with Bill Gates um here's what I loved about Paul Allen and I covered a lot of NFL owners meetings I don't know that I ever even listened to the man speak to reporters but you know, so many owners, they buy a team, and it's a vanity project, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and suddenly the team, the story of the team, instead of become about the team, becomes about the owner. And it, it revolves, not in all cases, obviously, but in a lot of cases, the owner becomes the face of the franchise. I love that Paul Allen knew that the role didn't demand that. It, it was about the team. It was about the city. It was about the market. Yep. He did so much for Seattle. But that's the model of ownership. I think I wish more pro, pro sports owners followed instead of the look at me, Jerry Jones, Daniel Snyder, mm-hmm. Mark Cuban model. And where would you put like a Terry Pagula in Buffalo? Would you put him more in the Paul Allen vein? Yeah. Trying uh, to do more for the city. I yeah. Mean, part, of, part of the rebirth, if you will. Not that Seattle was in a rebirth, but I mean, you're not a gold hearing, standard owner. You're not hearing Terry Pagula headlines come out left no. and right. You, know? you should hear less. Like, we, like once we started hearing too many, too many things coming from Charlotte, it was time for Richardson to go. Yeah. I, I think Paul Allen's legacy in the league will be, as Mark Murphy, the Green Bay Packers, uh, president said he didn't speak often in owners meetings but when he did everyone stopped and listened it really was the ef hutton right. type experience um 
because the man certifiably could be called a genius, sure. and also then he had the the width and the breadth of of his experience in the business world, um, in the sports world. You know, an owner in the NBA since '88, an owner in the NFL since '96. People forget the Seahawks. Ken Baring had an office set up, a team office set up in L.A. They were gone. They couldn't get a stadium built. They weren't mm. going to stay in the kingdom. They were going to lose the Supersonics. They already lost the Pilots. They were going to lose the Seahawks. And Paul Ooh. Allen did not let that happen. Right. Just I'm sure he is revered and remembered and missed today greatly in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, it, it reminds me in some ways also, too, when we talk about positive community impact. I know Patriots owner Robert Kraft makes headlines a lot of times and in many ways, always for positive reasons as well. But he's been been in addition to the fact that like you're going to be here all all day long here at Patriot Place, uh, massive community impact here as well. So, yeah. Anyway, um, week seven is um, another interesting week. I think we've talked a little bit about the Pats Bears game, which interesting. I just remember the last time they were in Chicago. I covered that game. It was that snowstorm in November of ten, um, and it was. I'll never was forget it. it. Was, was it twenty four or twenty eight? Nothing at the half. It was thirty six to seven at the end. I know yeah. that. I was talking to Tom Waddle and Tom Thayer about it yesterday on the on the phone. I said, I remember thinking, "Oh, this is going to be an equalizer for the Bears." The Bears were on skates, uh -huh. and the Patriots had great footing. I did not understand it. I mean, the the here the mighty Bears, monsters of the midway in their own park. They looked like they had never played on, in snow, nope. and the pa the Patriots just totally ran up and down the field as if they were on a dry field with great cleats. You guys yeah. remember that game? I it do was, very well. They Deion dominated them. Deion Branch scored a long touchdown. I remember he was completely uncovered. He had a heck of a season in 2010 coming back to the Pats as well. And oh, by the way, that was his last season the Bears won the NFC North. You remember they went to the NFC title game that year and uh, lost to Green Bay. And Jay Cutler stood on the sideline in the second half with the sprained MCL in that zippable coffin that he wore. Right. Um, what else we got? We got Cowboys Redskins. Mm. You know, the NFC East, it's I, looked, gonna be watchable. I looked it up. I called the league. Somebody has to win the NFC East. They will yeah. declare a champion. Um, it's Didn't in the, the Eagles it's in look the rules. good enough last week? Didn't the what? Didn't the Eagles look good enough to maybe? Yes. Look, the Eagles. Why did are, I mention them? The Eagles Why? are the only team that can win that division, right? Can you see Redskins, Cowboys, or Giants winning that division? No. No, oh, the Giants are done. Even Troy Aikman said after last Thursday Night Football, he said, uh, it's unfortunate, uh, Joe, but, uh, well, the Giants, they're, the Giants, uh, they're just playing out the string. I mean, they're one and five, and they're, they could be, they could be the worst team in the NFL. You think? Uh, I, I was watching that game, and I looked over at my father, and I was like, time of death on the Giants? Yeah. <laughs> if the Giants, <laughs> 945 in the East. If the Giants Bingo. play the Raiders, who wins? I take the Giants. I take the Raiders. I take the Giants. Did you see the Raiders in London yeah, against Seattle? Can you Derek imagine? Car, Derek Carr was literally crying. I think. On Can you field. imagine flying from Oakland to London oh. for three points and back? Why the hell does the NFL have to fly two themes six thousand miles? I know. Well, when the Jags like move, get on the flight home, right? When the Jags move there in twenty twenty two, it'll be fine. And they will. They will. Mark do they keep down. the name? Now, here's the last little question: Do you think the Jags keep the name the Jags when they move to London? Yes. And Oakland is trying to sue to keep the Raiders' name. In Oakland to force the Oakland Raiders moving to good luck with that there's Las Vegas. There's precedent for that. 
Well, wouldn't you rather like? Wouldn't you rather see Oakland go to Oakland and become a different team? Oakland and then can't leave go to the, Oakland. Oakland could go to Oakland Vegas. go to Vegas. Excuse me, sorry about that. Wouldn't you rather see the Oakland Raiders go to Vegas, become like the Baltimore Ravens, change names altogether? Not happening. They're going to be the Las Vegas Raiders. So then I Oakland, so, yeah. if it, if they ever get a franchise again, would have to be a different team. No, I mean this might tie into why the Raiders can't can't win or can't stay in Oakland anyway. But my my girlfriend and God God love her, she's not a sports fan. Looks at me uh, probably about a year ago. I'm watching the Raiders play on like Thursday night football against the Chiefs, and she goes, "Where's Oakland? Wow, like what state? There is, is no there, there there. Like she Gertrude she Stein had said. no she had no legitimate no idea like what state it was even in. Wow, it's a good area. Those are fun fans to party with. Uh, yeah, but they're dangerous. They're a little dangerous. You've never walked through the Coliseum parking lot unscathed, uh, covering a Raiders game. I promise you, those people are. Um, Fanimals, we'll aggressive. Say. Yeah, they're aggressive. Um, the other good game I think is Bengals Chiefs, which got flexed to Sunday Night Football, ensuring that the Garoppolo list Forty Niners were entertaining, and in, they, they were entertaining in their last feature night. last night. Yes, but we're going to get Bengals Chiefs. Uh, I think that's going to be a kill because the Bengals defense, I think, um, banged up. Yeah, and Perfect is back to doing mm-hmm. perfect like things, perfectly pushing absurd the envelope. Things, yep. Uh, that's probably a fine waiting to happen, what he did to uh, Antonio Brown against Pittsburgh. Um, I think people are going to start to get a little sick of the Chiefs. I think they're going to end up oh, getting really? featured a lot. I think the whole, let's make sure that we get the fastest show on Midwest turf, greatest show on Midwest turf well, out there Come all the on, time. you weren't captivated by Mahomes' mania getting of to see I it was. up close and personal first I, time? Yeah, but then now if, if they get flexed in Sunday night and then they'll maybe be, uh, I think they're going to be on Monday Night Football again soon like the. I, we, there could be a little Chiefs overkill. What do you? What did you? What's your take on what Brady said to Gronkowski that was captured by microphones? Want to tell are everyone? Ki- are you kidding me, baby? What? We're gonna play forever. <laughs> it was captured by our pals, uh, the NBC Sports Boston camera guys. Great okay. follow on Twitter, by the way. Okay. Uh, they were out there. Brady was talking to did Travis you faint, Kelsey, or did you just oh, get palpitations? Oh, I needed a moment. Yeah. I needed. A, I needed a moment. Maybe a wet one. Yeah. <laughs> And that'll do for cover two. <laughs> Another excellent week here on Patriots.com. Yeah, I knew I knew that would be a big highlight of your night hearing that. Now, are you buying it? I play like that. Or is that, that just post game promises that's that just, that's don't just... have to be held accountable? Oh, come on. That's just like any time you have a buzz and you say something like, Oh man, we can be rock stars. We're gonna live forever. We're gonna live forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Forever right. young. Exactly. Okay. That they was had a his, moment. That was for his forever young moment. Exactly. They had a moment, and then a lot of us did, too. All right. That is a wrap. <laughs> that is a wrap on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. I told you it was a, it was a ragged show today. <laughs> it was a fun one. But Trent Dilfer saved it in the middle. We, we, stay, we barely stayed on the track. Barely. Good enough. Uh, for our producer, Kevin Collins, my co-host, Nick Stevens, nailed it. I'm Don Banks. We'll get our voices back. And talk at you next week. And for the record, Nick coughed as much as I did in today's show. I just used my cough button. Go Sox! Go Sox. Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Cuts it under the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. Diving to the goal line. It's going to be a touchdown. And a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. 
Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.